Welcome to another episode of Biotalks, brought to you by Black Art in America, the number one site for black art news in the world, and now available in print as well. Bio the Mag is a free print magazine published bi-monthly. You can order your copy at blackartinamerica.com. This is your boy, Jay Barber. On this episode, you'll hear me and Tracy Ann talk with award-winning costume designer, Ruth E. Carter. Her show, Afrofuturism and Costume Design, is on view at SCAD Fash Museum of Fashion and Film through September 12th. It features 60 costumes by Ruth from her amazing career, including films such as Selma, Do the Right Thing, Black Panther, and many more. On Wednesday, March 24th at 6 p.m., Ruth will participate in SCAD's annual event titled SCAD Style. Carter will share more of the stories behind the costumes and exhibition. For more info on SCAD Style, go to scad.edu slash scadstyle. And after the break, we'll be back with Ruth Carter. Yes, welcome to the Bio Talks podcast. Uh, it is I, your boy, Jay Barber. And Tracy Ann Simmons. And we have the esteemed pleasure of talking to award-winning costume designer, Ruth E. Carter. How are you doing, Ruth? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's such a pleasure to get to talk to you. Uh, you have a show up at SCAD Fash of Afrofuturism in Costume Design. It looks like a fantastic show. You work with one of my, my boys, uh, Brandon Sadler. Uh, he did the murals um, yes. for your installation. So we're definitely getting to that kind of stuff. Um, but before we jump all sure. the way in, I definitely want to go all the way back to Mission College. Uh, we'll start right there <laughs> <laughs> with one of my one of my all time favorite movies. I watched it with my pops. One of the first first uh, actual movies other than cartoons that I remember watching. Uh, it was such a great movie, left a big impression on me. Uh, and so I want to go back to that moment, like right at the beginning mm -hmm. of your career. What were you thinking when you pulled up on the set with Spike Lee, who was fresh out of out of college at the time, right? Uh, he had done, he, uh, he had gone to uh, NYU Film School and he had done Joe's Bedside Barbershop and uh, She's Gotta Have It. This was his first studio picture. And um, I was quite excited. Uh, I had done a lot of work with him in New York just to prep that film, School Days. And so we, you know, uh, we were all shipped into Atlanta, Georgia, uh, getting ready to shoot on the on the campus of Spelman and Morehouse, his alma mater, and I went to Hampton. Uh, it was kind of a full circle moment at the beginning of my career that here I was starting out a new career in the film industry. I already had a lot of experience in theater, and I was starting with a film a story that I knew really well from my own college experience and and uh and we were all like-minded in that way yeah and I think uh it was something very subtle and we'll get into this too as we go along there's something very subtle that costume design adds to a movie like that adds to a script because I think a, a lot of looks from from that movie by itself like from the the gamma jackets to the wannabes and jigaboos like all that stuff that went into it. Like when you get a script, how do you break it down and, and think about bringing those characters to life? Well, um, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, first, I have to be influenced and inspired. Uh, mm -hmm. The story has to take me on a ride. 
And when I go on that ride, I start seeing those images. And, you know, for something like school days, it was easy for me to remember all the pledges and all the sorority and fraternity looks. Uh, So I had an opportunity to uh, recreate some uh, for myself, you know, and that was exciting. Uh, For the most part, it's a process that involves research and um, being able to visualize the story and and present ideas uh, either through illustrations or mood boards uh, to a director and have uh, the same vision. Um, it's a it's a way of collaborating that lets the person know what's in your mind and what you're thinking about in terms of the look of the picture, and they get the opportunity to. Um, engage you with what they have by having a visual in front of the both of you. Is there an aha moment when like, you know, that you've nailed it or, you know, like I, I figure as you're doing like these overwhelming tasks of creating a look for each um, character in all of these different films and all of the different scenes, there's, is there an, like an aha moment where you're like, okay, that's the look that's complete and you can move on. <laughs> or is it something that's like an ever evolving process? It's both. Uh, it's ever evolving. There's lots of aha moments. Um, mm-hmm. You get really excited when you are in a fitting and you dress uh, an actor in an outfit like I've done with Sam Jackson as Dolomite and Chirac. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had so much fun in those fittings and he picks ties and, you know, we put combinations together. Um, and also there are uh, layers. It's just like... Um, uh, most things that you uh, explore when you use uh, your your first mind is kind of like you know, the first idea and then it mm-hmm. immediately becomes obsolete and you have to build on that idea. So mm-hmm. the aha moment comes when the door opens to the right path and then you have to go down that path and discover all of the details that will create uh, a better character than your first impression Mm. so it's a continuous process and do you have a feeling for uh how iconic the look is like when you first get it like you think about uh the goldfish shoes and i'm gonna get you sucker like or you think about the the love hate rings and the kind of hyper colors that you used in um in um do the right thing. Do the right thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. you when you think about that, do you do you feel it? Like do you mm-hmm. know? Like okay, this is it right here. Like they, you know, they gonna love this one. Or is it just kind of uh, feeling, yeah. just feeling it it's out? It's not just on me. It's not just on me. Uh, the goldfish shoes were written in the script by Keenan Ivy Wayans. The, <laughs> the love papers were written in the script by Spike Lee and. Mike told me to go to Fulton Mall, go to the jewelry store in Fulton Mall, <laughs> and order the love hate rings. You know, he told me right yes. where to go get them. Fine. You know, guys were wearing gold grills in their mouth, and gold chains were big and popular. So that was the only gold we had in Do the Right Thing. I remember Spike saying, you know, he didn't want a lot of gold chains on people in his film, but it was a very popular trend. And so the love hate rings. Uh, became iconic and and they represented the only real like you know fad that was really happening at the time but um 
I think that it's such a collaborative um, effort when, you know, you dress Denzel Washington as Malcolm X and you give him a crisp white shirt and a gray suit and a black tie, you you have an aha moment. You know, when you uh, dress people on the Amistad in loincloths and you really age them and make everything feel authentic, you have an aha, aha moment for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting um, you bring up Malcolm X. Um, I read, I saw somewhere before where you were talking about the breakdowns of how you change the costume to go along with each period of his life. Like he had the really bright suits at first, and then you kind of wash it away with the denim in yeah. prison, and then you brought more of the, yeah. the style and the tailored look that he had with the Nation of Islam, and then the trip to Africa, right? Yeah. And so um, yeah. What, what part of, what part of, how much of that is involved the the actor himself bringing it to life and how much do you think that you contribute to the performance that they're able to give yeah well i feel like the actors appreciate the work that you do um they have a lot of work on their own that they have to do they have to focus on portraying this character consistently on camera in a medium that does not shoot in order of the story. So they have to really know what their arcs are. They have to really know what point in the story their emotions are. So they really do appreciate that I have taken the time to create this arc uh, of uh, visual visual uh, effect for them. And yes, with Malcolm X, that was uh, the journey that you know we uh, divided. It was it was pretty clear in Alex Haley's book, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, that you know he had these sections in his life, and and they all represented something you know really great for him in his learning process. And um, it was important for us to understand that he went from this ballroom dancer to this New York hustler to an imprisoned and then came out a national speaker. So we could wash all of that color down and really bring it into the spirit of uh, a black and white photograph in a sense where you had a lot of gray and black, very serious suits from the nation of Islam and at this very serious uh, uh, time in his life and then emerge in Mecca um, with a clearer path and a new understanding. So we brought back color at that stage. And he has a moment where he's walking uh, through um, Mecca as a tourist with a camera around his neck. And he's he's wearing an, um, an Agbada shirt. Uh, uh, and there's another scene where he has a pink tie. So you see that he is ma- he is making another transition to culture and really into his true self as a human being. Yeah, that's really great, and I, and that was a a fantastic movie too. Like you, <laughs> I didn't realize how many of my favorite movies you were involved in. So no, seriously, like definitely kudos seriously, to you for real. So iconic as a designer, and and one of the things that I really appreciate about your work is like um I'm I don't want to fast forward too much, but speaking about Harriet, and like when I look at images of. Harriet Tubman, right? If I do a Google search, I never see her styled quite as powerfully. And when she puts that hat on, that it 
kind of evolved the image of Harriet Tubman and the impact that her life's work made. Um, so my question is, when you talk about and, and when you um, embody like the power of protest using fashion, do you envision yourself as an architect of Afrofuturism and, and a way to look forward, you know, at, through your work? Mm-hmm. Um, I always, I don't, I don't label anything. I, um, you know, I, I try not to be too aspirational and, uh, call something the future. Um, Mm -hmm. what I try to do, and I think what Paul Tazewell did with Harriet as well is we are always thinking about how authentic, um, each time period, um, will, will present, um, to the world. And in being authentic, I think people are get inspired and they start thinking about, you know, how, how life has changed for Black Americans and how important the, say, the Selma March was to our lives mm-hmm. today. And, and through that, we realize what Afrofuture is because those marchers were uh, embodying the future generation and and we represent that generation. And so it's our responsibility to take this a step forward. And that, in my opinion, defines Afrofuture. Mm-hmm. So we'll jump into your show uh, that's at SCADFASH. Afrofuturism and Costume Design, uh, and SCAD Fashion is the Museum of Fashion and Film uh, at SCAD. Uh, so in this in this show, you have 60 costumes, sketches, ephemeral, illustrating the depth of historical research in your design process. Um, and I want to get into the process a little bit. Um, tell me about the drawings and the ephemeral, like the sketches. Like, are you doing the sketches? Or are you working with an artist to get that done? Like, how does it start? Well, I started doing the sketches in the beginning. I loved to draw as a child, and I grew up with artists in my family, so illustrating and drawing was a big part of our lives. But um, art illustrations and costume illustrations are very different. And as I uh, grew into my professional um, life, I started uh, hiring illustrators because they're adept at, you know, communicating through the drapes. And um, that's not an easy thing to do. And they can get a, quite a few done, you know, inside of a week. And, but I started booming myself in the beginning and I still do on occasion on Roots. I did a lot of my own illustrations on I'm a Gucci sucker and do the right thing. I did my own. Um, but now, um, say, Thank goodness I have to produce so many more illustrations that I did than I did in the beginning. I get a lot mm-hmm. of help. Yeah. So that part of the Definitely process a blessing. is still, yeah, it's still difficult because instead of it coming from your mind and your soul to your hand, mm-hmm. to the paper, you actually have to communicate even more to another person so that it becomes your illustration, not something that comes from their mind. And that's a, difficult uh balance to find i can imagine so that makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. and especially Mm -hmm. as we move into like um you know you go from working with spike lee at 40 acres to marvel studios who is a massive conglomerate Mm -hmm. uh that has so Mm -hmm. much 
uh, visual history already. Like, so in walking mm-hmm. into that room, I'm sure they uh, were giving you a lot of what they needed. And so I think the process would be different. Am I right? Well, they welcomed in the massive conglomerate of 40 acres and a mule where I was trained. They wanted to have, uh, w- one thing is for sure that, um, you know, art is subjective, that Anytime you have artists that come together to create, um, they're going to create something that's all their own. So they're not looking for someone who's going to come in and do exactly what happens within their um, their history of the comics and of the movies. They're actually looking for someone who will bring um, a little special something to the table. There is a level of um, a sameness, I think, that happens with their superheroes, um, mm-hmm. and they take care of that. They do take care of that, and they they help you through that process because you know it's it's a long history, and there's a certain level of expectation with that. And so, I'm, I'm I welcome in you know their touch on you know superhero costumes because that hasn't been my forte in the past, and I think that they welcome in the idea of the cultural experience and how to infuse the tribal culture into a superhero ma- uh, uh, mode. And, the, and, and that's where I come in and, and that's where Ryan Coogler comes in and Hannah Beekler and uh, Rachel Morrison, when we came together mm-hmm. to do Black Panther one, it, it, it was the uh, collaboration of, of many of us all together. Uh, especially when you talk about Black Panther, I think that hit Black culture like a atom bomb. You know, it just like mm-hmm. exploded, and like people couldn't get enough of seeing that kind of style that you brought to it. And I think the costumes was a major part of the success of that movie because the visuals of Wakanda uh, are so legendary at this point. The word pageantry comes to mind when I think about it. Uh, because yeah. everybody was nice. so beautiful, like it was like with so <laughs> many fabrics and and the details that went into it from the embroidery mm-hmm. and the leather work mm-hmm. and the and the beads and, and like everything involved in it. Like, mm-hmm. tell us one about the inspirations behind some of those pieces. Oh, uh, well, you know, there's thousands of tribal influences all over the continent of Africa, and uh, they chose 12 uh, tribes that we would be inspired by, and we um, outlined which ones uh, of our fictitious tribes would be influenced by real tribes. So we were in Mali with the Tuareg, and I just uh, dived in like an artist with a with a canvas with all of the beauty of the Tuareg and started to um, really see how I could bring the beautiful aubergine and their love for silver jewelry and all of the intricate leather work. Um, It was exciting uh, to look at the Himba women and see how they painted their bodies with the shea butter and red clay soil and May have these hairstyles that uh, they adorned themselves with, and to see how they used every part of the calf not only as sustenance but also 
to create uh, bracelets and skirts and, and clothing and how they stretch the edges and hammered metal into the edges to decorate these caskets. It, it was just thrilling and an honor to be able to use some of the techniques that they used in, in, in Black Panther. The Dormelage uh, costume um, represents so many areas of Africa. You could travel all over the continent um, on different uh, parts of that costume, whether it's the beading, the Turkana beads of the tabard in the front, the hemba for the harness, even some South African um, stitch work that uh, I observed doing Roots Reboot, uh, where we had South African um, craftsmen stitching leather pieces. So that, that for me, was a, a great honor. I love that. And and I also read like how you studied about how indigo was harvested. And I didn't even realize that, you know, that the indigo yeah. had such a deep history. Can you talk anything about like um your your interaction with the indigo plants? Did you interact with them? Yeah. Did you dye your I own stuff? I did not. We did do our own dyeing, but we used the uh, m- more modern style of uh, creating mm-hmm. the indigo color um, through different dyeing. Um, uh, practices, but I decided mm-hmm. on that uh, I would do all of the shading on the costumes, all of the aging with this blue dye because I observed that as you harvest the indigo and as you create this beautiful color, it gets your hands. It's like your it dyes your skin. It, it, <laughs> it it's a part of you, and I use. So that blue color, and you can see this at Scab Fashion, the exhibition on roots, that blue is used as a part of the aging process. And I, I also used it as a, as a color, a family color uh, with the clothing. So, you know, there, you know, to me was another a sub story that was you, you, you don't even know that you love a color that traces your back history you know if we were to go back and meet people that you know we came from you know our great ancestors Mm -hmm. we might Mm -hmm. be surprised thrilled that you know great great grandma loves purple as much as I do and I wanted to have that sense of uh, of family connection uh, for roots because they were extracted from West Africa, where there was this strong blue indigo that was used, and and I wanted to use it through the generations. Shout out to our new and recurring patrons. Would you buy stock in Baya if you could? Well, we invite you to join us in becoming a monthly supporter. Starting at just $3 a month, you become a stakeholder and begin to help us transform lives through art. Such art initiatives and educational programming like Black Light with Steve Prince, Relating to Art with Dr. Kelly Morgan, and Biobits would not be possible without the ongoing support of our Patreon members. Review our list of rewards for becoming a Buy a Patreon slash patron supporter. Learn more at www.patreon.com slash Black Art in America. 
Tom. And I mm-hmm. have a question. When you walk through your museum exhibit, is there like a specific mm-hmm. costume that jumps out to you as a favorite and why? I have so many favorites in there and every in co- every movie has its own unique experience and I find a favorite uh, amongst them. Um, and, you know, going into research, really making something come to life uh, is a joy, is a, is a, a, you know, it's a, it's a point as an artist where you feel complete, like you've done your best. And so I, I walk through that exhibition and I feel like I have done my best from one experience to the next, my level best. Maybe it's not everyone's best, but it's my best. And so I, I just take each moment, you know, in with each, each, each movie and, and feel very proud that I was able to present a part of our history, um, a part of our knowledge, um, you know, on the Selma exhibition, you see the trench coats that the uh, marchers wore and they had their hands in their pockets to um, display a visual of nonviolence. And, you know, I'm proud that I, I, I pulled that out of the research and, and added that to not only the wearing of the costumes, but how to wear the costumes. And, mm-hmm. and of course, Black Panther culminates what I feel I've worked my whole entire career toward, and that is history, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, love for costume design, costume design at its highest form, and in the future. And now we have Coming to America in the exhibition. So if, you know, people want to see Coming to America, you know, on Amazon Prime, and then go to the exhibit, they'll actually see more details that they couldn't see on the, on the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the details are super important in what you're doing. And, and I appreciate mm-hmm. a lot of the research that you put into it. Um, but I also appreciate how you're bringing in new technologies into uh, making and creating these costumes. So tell me about the yeah. 3D printing that went into Black Panther and into Coming to America. Yeah, <laughs> So 3D printing when we were doing uh, Black Panther in 2016 was was new to costume design. It wasn't new to like the world. They made toys, they make uh, architectural renderings in, in 3D, but it was something new for uh, the costume experience. And so we um, wanted to explore that. Um, I knew a, a fashion designer who was using 3D and I contacted the person who she collaborated with, who was actually an architect. Uh, professor at UCLA and she came to my office and I you know showed her exactly what I wanted to do with the with Queen Ramonda she wears the crown it's an Ichikolo the South African married woman's hat and she has a shoulder mantle and I wanted to create a 3D uh, piece for her that was inspired by African lace and so I found some lace that we scanned and she uh, crafted it in her computer with all the algorithms. And we sent it uh, to Belgium at the time, had to go all the way to Belgium where there was a 3D printer large enough to actually print those pieces. And so her hat was printed uh, in Belgium in one solid piece. And um, so now here we are in 2021 
or 2020 when we crafted um, Coming to America. And you know, there's those iconic pieces like the, you know, uh, taxidermy on the shoulder of the king. Um, and so <laughs> that was uh, something that I felt like the daughter, uh, who one is vegan, um, would be uh, oppo- opposed to. So we decided to go cruelty-free, and we 3D printed the uh, lioness on the shoulder of King Akin. Gotta love 3D printing as activism. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was a, a great detail because um, as you talk about bringing stuff uh, from coming to America, especially, like it's 30 years later, of course, everything's going to be a little bit different yeah. now. And so like that little update, yeah. these little details, I think adds tremendously to the story, like visually in a, in a subtle way uh, that people don't, necessarily yeah. automatically pick up but it's definitely essential to the story yeah and how do you feel about yourself being um do you think about yourself as part of the storytelling process oh for sure i'm a part of the filmmaking filmmakers the collaborators you know we come together several times uh in the process of creating the film to talk about what we're doing um you know, I in coming to America, I initially wanted to do a big Egyptian funeral for uh, uh, ja- uh, ja- uh, King the the James Earl Jones, Jeffrey Joffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeffrey Joffer. And um, and uh, so I did all of this research and all of this look, and then um, the production designer had a different idea, and so I, I had to scrap the Egyptian funeral, because if not, if everybody isn't on on the same page, it doesn't make any sense for you to go down that road, and so we decided to make it a big uh, a splash of color and a big celebration, um, and then then, uh, you know, it was Gladys Knight and Salt and Pepper. I mean, there was a lot going on there. And there was even more than I think than, than the audience got to see because after um, uh, Gladys Knight sings, the lights come up and there's this dance and party, but it got cut out of the movie. So I think the director's cut might have it. <laughs> but I'm just I just want to tell you that I mean after seeing it I do feel that you kind of got a slight nuance of the Egyptian funeral you know in there by having him in the casket that's standing up I kind of felt like a yeah. slight King Tut moment you know Mhm Mhm yeah I really I had so much more and I had like the Egyptian costumes on the pallbearers and and then we mm-hmm. looked at uh the West African funerals where the men wear the tuxedo tails and the spats on their shoes and they have like a star. They do a whole dance with the casket. So I, uh, we adjusted. And I think that's what great art is about to them and what makes great artists is being malleable, you know, to the different situations. And I think that's what gives you your amazing skill set, too, is that you just seem to be so malleable, you know, from one um, from one movie to the next. And it's it's very inspirational as I mean, as an artist who, you know, is working in any medium, it's such an inspirational workflow. Thank you. Thank you. I'm inspired. I guess that's how, you know, this 35 years in the industry just flew by. I look back mm-hmm. myself at a lot of 
about things that I've done. And I go, wow, yeah, I did Babs and how I got her groove back. I worked with Eddie on seven movies, Spike on 12, Angela on five, Sam on five. I get, you know, I look back and I go, whoa, I really, I really like focused for uh, a long stint. And it must have been because I love, yeah, I love, I love it. <laughs> well, the love is evident. We feel it. I mean, it, your love created visceral experiences for an entire generation. I'm 36 years old. Like, you know, your your love for fashion has basically helped to curate my life. You know, my friend and I, we went as citizens of Wakanda to the Black Panther opening. Like, we were really decked out. People were looking at us like, are we coming to perform? You know what I mean? So you've influenced <laughs> the culture on, on levels that we can't even understand, really. You know, we'll, we'll know in 30 years the impact of what you now. You know what I mean? Uh, that is just, uh, just like, feel like, you know, one of the missions. And when I saw people, like, having, you know costumes, going to see Black Panther, uh, performing in the lobby of the movie theaters. And I mean, Africa, really, they brought, you know, drummers and they had a whole mm -hmm. procession leading to the, into the movie theater. That just is beyond words. It's just beyond, it's beyond emotion. I'm in South Florida, so my friends made me leave my djembe in the car. But if I was home in New York, I definitely would have been there with my djembe. I would have. They, I, you know, South Florida, they're a little more conservative culturally. But if I was home, trust, and yeah. we leave, I would have been in the processional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't blame you. Did, you. did you take part in any of this kind of stuff? Like, when it came out, did you, like, have a feeling that it was going to be this big and... Like, were you ready to celebrate after so doing I, so much work? I had that feeling when we were making the movie. Um, there are several points. We have uh, uh, many African actors uh, in the film, and they'd walk into my office where I had Lesotho blankets hanging from the ceiling and Dogon masks on the walls and um, all kinds of beadwork, you know, um, organized on pegboards as you walk in. And they felt like they had never seen anything like that. And they would express that to me and how proud they were when they walked in, that it wasn't, you know, the approach was real. It was not uh, Hollywood. And also when we shot Warrior Falls, uh, one of the actors had a visitor from his home in South Africa, and she looked up at the Lesotho people with their blankets, their actors in the Warriors Falls. And um, she said, oh, there's my people. There's my people. And when I heard her say that to her family member, I just feel, I, 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 I welled up with tears because mm. that's what I want. That's what the relatability of seeing yourself. That's what I wanted. Talk a little bit about um, your your place in the movie industry as a black woman uh, in costume design. Like, how common is that? And was it uh, a struggle for you to get acceptance and respect for what you did? Not so much with Spike Lee, who, you know, mm -hmm. brought you in, like, mm -hmm. handpicked you, but, like, the rest of the industry. Mm -hmm. How do they respond to you? Well, I actually didn't. 
I was I was definitely uh, protected by the black filmmakers. I came in at a time when black filmmakers felt like they weren't really being represented in film and wanted to produce their own film. So I bounced back and forth between L.A. and New York for 10 years, 12 years with Keenan Wayans and Robert Townsend and Spike Lee. And I got to cut my teeth and really learn the industry. Um, and they were very loyal to me. There weren't very many. I could count how many costume designers of color there were on half of my one hand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but uh, it wasn't until I got an Oscar nomination that I feel that um, I was being embraced by mainstream Hollywood. And, you know, I recently kind of thought about that. And I said, wow, you, you know, you have to get an Oscar nomination to be uh, heard. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Um, you have to have an Oscar nomination to be considered doing legitimate uh, filmmaking. And I often uh, would be asked by even family members, like, you know, as I was going through my journey with Spike and, you know, the black films that I was doing, and I got nominated for Malcolm X, and they'd say, when are you going to work with, you know, white filmmakers? When are you mm. going to work with mm. And, you know, okay, then I worked with Steven Spielberg and I did Amistad and I got an Oscar nomination uh, for that. And still, it was almost like because I represented black, it was just not Hollywood enough or it wasn't mainstream enough. Or it wasn't. And I stopped, uh, you know, I kind of shut that down because I got into this industry because I loved the stories of Lorraine Hansberry and James Baldwin. And I love the prose of Nikki Giovanni. I could see those people. I could see my people, you know, uh, when Langston Hughes wrote Mother to Son and they talked about the crystal stairs. Life for me ain't no crystal mm. stair. I could see that stairway. And I feel that that's what my purpose was, to be here to present um, culture you know, in a, in a, in a true way. And I don't, I don't, you know, I have done enough where Hollywood has embraced me. I, I did the pilot for the, for Seinfeld series. I did teen beach movie. I did, you know, enough um, films to say I've done their films too. But when and my, you've honestly I, done more than enough. It took them 40 years to give right. you a star, you know? Congratulations, so by the way, I, on your star. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I, I take that as, you know, my success. That I, I'm not looking for a stamp from from Hollywood. Even a star, I was not looking for a star um, for Hollywood to say it. Um, I felt that I was there already, and Hollywood caught up to me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very true. And so what do you, do you have anything uh, or people that you work with to bring along kind of the next generation of black, even black women, but even black costume designers, period? Both men and women. Oh, I've mentored several. The guy who uh, was with Power all those years as a designer, Frank Fleming, he came out of my, um, my camp, if you would. He was my intern and on Mo Better Blues and um Rita McGee uh who has done so many great films um Pete Alley is one that she does now she and her sister are people that I brought into the industry uh Donna Berwick who designed Five Bloods with Spike uh was my partner in crime on many Spike Lee movies and 
I have a I have a plethora because I always believe that you know when you create a network, um, there's enough room for all of us, and we get to actually collaborate on resources. Where did you get this done? How can I? Be, I'm, I'm coming to New York. Give me a a couple of people I can call to work with me. You know, we create a network and. And in the, the competition, it really, there's enough to do for all of us. So the competition really isn't there in my mind. Yeah. And I think you, you all bring in so many different things to the table. So like you said, yeah. there, there's definitely enough room for everybody to do their thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, four costume designers, myself, Francine Tanchuk, who did One Night in Miami, Sharon Davis, who was Oscar nominated and Emmy nominated, Emmy winner. Um, she did Dream Girls and Django and The Watchmen. And um, Michelle Cole, who's done Blackish. The four of us got together and we created a scholarship for up and coming uh, costume students uh, of color. And um, we have been we have been embraced. The Lucas Foundation uh, gave us a, a nice uh, check, as well as Universal. So you know, people realize that you know there was a void that needs to be filled. Mm, that's phenomenal. I feel as though well, I'm, let me just tell you that I'm an artist who I also was a traditional West African dancer for four years. Company life, you know, I helped with the uh-huh. costumes and all of that. And when I see like um, pieces like Black Panther and like um, Black is King, which was designed by Zarina Akers, I wonder is yeah. there some sort of um, visual imagery or costume design that made you feel validated to do the work that you do? Hmm. Or was that like an internal source? Like, did you just say, I know that whatever I'm going to do is going to work out? Or was there something that was like, okay, because I saw that, I know that I too am empowered to do whatever I feel within myself. I think that uh, my work does that for other people. Um, I grew up with my mom taking me to New York to go see off-Broadway shows like Mama, I Want to Sing and The Wiz. And, um, you know, you talk in the beginning about, you know, how you grew up with these films that I have done. Um, and and I, I can think back to films like Lady Sings the Blues that influenced me by beautiful by me seeing beautiful costumes. And um, you know I don't know directly like how uh, that relates to a desire to do costume design. I think it relates more to you know the influence of the characters and how they play a role in how you think and how you feel. And mm-hmm. so the power of that, power of character and, and story, I think is what, what told me I want to do that. I can do that. And I had to learn the craft of costume design. I think you've mastered it by now. Like, so do you, mm-hmm. do you, do you still feel the need, desire to work in the film industry or as this uh, Afrofuturism in costume design show, shows that it can have different applications for the art that you're creating. And, and, and it is art, you know, um, by definition. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see um, other venues in which you want to explore with your talents? 
oh yeah, I'm producing a little bit and, you know, I'm, I'm exploring other avenues, but this is what got me here. This is what I still love. And there are other cultures to explore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited when I go to Mexico, I'm excited when I go to Italy, I'm excited when I go to France. I mean, there, uh, there are other cultures that I think still need exploration in the film industry. And I'm as, I feel qualified to explore other cultures, learn about their past and their history and what anachronisms we are experiencing today, what what things stay true from yesterday to today. And that that part is my journey. I think, you know, the success of a film like Black Panther and the impact that it had on, you know, our community, um, the same impact that you know it can have on uh one culture to another absolutely and i think that one and i want to end it kind of on a more fun note right so you you work mm-hmm. with a lot of different people and very early in their careers early sam daxon right early lawrence fishburne like uh mm-hmm. these young people like tell me tell me about growing up with these people like in the industry and seeing kind of how like Denzel transitioned from one man to like the man you know in Hollywood like in Spike Lee in his position like tell me about that oh i have uh, i have memories i have fond memories of uh, Lawrence Fishburne um in Brooklyn you know i'm crossing the street or uh, crossing Flatbush and he pulls up in a Electra 225, some vintage car with a convertible top. And, you know, he's like, Ruthie, you want to ride? And I jump <laughs> in. And, you know, I, I, I have memories of Denzel walking away from uh, the building where we had our fittings. And I look out the window and I see he's got his his earphones on and he's listening to Malcolm X speeches and he, He's walking uh, to the subway train, and um, you know that that's indel that's ingrained in my mind. I mean, I have an image of Angela Bassett sitting on the floor in her trailer with uh, Tina Turner sitting on the couch above her, plaiting her hair, getting it ready for mm. the wig that she in to put on. It's like the queen was crowning. Uh, Angela Bassett to play her as, uh, you know, as Tina Turner. So, you know, my memories run really deep and it was before camera phones, before Spanx, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's the the beauty of what I feel like I I can share. That's the beauty of what I can share that, you know, as you're coming into this industry, if you wanted to be a costume designer, that, you know, there will be ups and downs, but the ups are so up, the ups are so high, and you'll, you'll, be, you'll be inspired to learn from your mistakes and keep going. It's interesting that you went there because I was definitely going to ask you for any words of encouragement for fellow designers, people who feel sometimes, you know, unvalidated and discouraged, but know that they need to continue what like give them like a little, you know, it's kind of light fire under them. Yeah. I think, um, you are, you are perfectly you, Like there's no wrong move. There's no bad thing, bad luck. There's no real 
mistake. I mean, this is an industry that is timed and you have to get things ready when they need to be ready. They have to sit, they have to look a certain way, convey a message, but you are uniquely you. And if uh, you take the time out to, to learn this this world, this profession. The art that you bring to the to the table will blossom, and I think that's the thing that you have to remember all the time that there is a technical side, but the creative side is within you, and it's perfect. Absolutely, and I want definitely want to thank you for not just doing this interview with us, but also all the work that you've done. Like over the years, I think you represented black people and blackness in an extraordinary way. And you brought that to film. And it's a credit to you, uh, the impact that in this kind of iconic imagery that you've created. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in to another episode of Bio Talks, where we're talking all things Black art in America. Make sure you go over to BlackArtInAmerica.com. You can browse and shop the fine art from the growing network of artists, collectors, estates, galleries, specializing in works by Black American artists. That's BuyBlackArt.com. We'll see y'all later. Peace. Peace.